Uh, remain standing for just a moment, and if you have a Bible with you, you can open up back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. So we're, today's uh, scripture is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. You can read along on the screen or in, in your Bibles. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both your masters, uh, who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Feel free to be seated. Oh, God. Thank you for your word, that it doesn't change, that it's always true. Thank you that it's more powerful than any of the schemes of the enemy, God. Thank you for what we can learn that your word is active and it's alive and it's applicable today just as much as it was back when it was written. God, let us learn from your word today. Let's be humble to receive what you have for each one of us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I kind of had to laugh at myself when I got this verse. I just couldn't believe that I got a, ser- a section of scripture that's titled uh, about bond servants or, you know, basically slaves and masters. I'm like, man, what my luck is. I should have said last week when Leo asked me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think in today's, uh, today's context, there's a really interesting uh, meaning for, for us today. Um, obviously, we're in a different context, and I think it really applies to employers and employees. Um, and I think there is something to be said about... Um, the original context too, talking to slaves and masters, and we'll dive into that too. Um, so have you ever had one of those days at work when it was just dragging on what felt like an eternity? You already got all of your work done that needed to be done for the day or for the week, but you just kind of had to clock a few more hours before you get out of there. Um, I know I've had a many uh, uh, times like that in different uh work situations where I've been in. I'm just kind of like waiting for the day to end. I feel like I did pretty well, but I'm just sort of checked out there at the end. Uh, For those of you guys who are employers, supervisors, managers, do you ever have those days when you get frustrated at your employees over something that really, really just wasn't their fault, Um, but you're upset about maybe an undesired outcome that happened? Not too long ago, I had a really good idea in my own business to save some time and money, and I was super pumped about it. It just seemed like a perfect plan. I was already, you know, cheering myself on before we even got started. The only problem was that uh, in the real world, it just didn't really work at all. And uh, internally, instead of realizing it was my plan that wasn't really good, I, you know, mentally, I kind of blamed it on my employee because I was like, oh, it's, you know, he's not competent enough. That's probably more likely the problem. Let's face it, if you're an employer or an employee, it can be pretty difficult to always give your best. It's a really tough challenge. In fact, I think it's impossible to always give your best all the time. 
being that uh, we're humans and none of us are perfect. Perfect. Um, do Christians have the same work standards as non-Christians? Or is it different? Is it okay for Christians to just kind of give like a lazy work day sometimes? In today's passage in Ephesians, Paul gives some pretty specific answers to these questions. Uh, and the answer that he gives may be a bit different than what you would think just from listening to these verses uh, first time through. So I encourage you to tune in. The letter was written by Paul. And if you don't know much about Paul, he was an evangelist, an apostle, uh, although he was a later apostle. Um, his initial mission was to destroy the Christian church. And uh, God got a hold of him, which is encouraging because... None of us are too far gone in that sense, which is awesome. Paul was a great missionary of, of the early church, and he wrote a whole bunch of letters uh, that are part of the Bible, makes up a lot of the New Testament. Very influential guy. So keep this in mind uh, as well. Who's the true author of Ephesians? The Holy Spirit, right? Paul's writing was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So though Paul pens the letter, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we shouldn't just take this as Paul's thoughts on how to treat each other. This is how God is telling us to treat each other through the writ of Paul. This is the message that the church in Ephesus was most in need of hearing. And that is why God inspired Paul to write it. The core biblical truth of Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 is that Christian slaves and masters must treat each other as Christ. It says in there, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. But that's not all. So that's, that's for, you could say, on the employee side. Masters, it says in verse 9, do the same to them. If we just stopped at that first part and we just have such an unbalanced message, that would lead many people to think that uh, Christianity is full of hatred and bigotry and is partial. But it's not. Masters, do the same to them. The same message we heard to husbands and wives a few weeks ago. To one another. So when you hear this, you might be tempted to protest. Does the Bible actually ignore or condone slavery? Is that possible? If Paul's going to talk about slavery, why doesn't he just condemn it and then move on? You don't even need this section of scripture. But like I said, I would challenge you to take a closer look at this. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, isn't just giving some antidote for behavior. He's flipping the entire system on its head. The problem with government systems is they can never address heart level. They can only get to behavior, whether back then or now. You cannot legislate a heart level action. But God does. So in, the culture, in that cultural system at the time, sadly, some people were considered less valuable than other people. And even a personal property of another person. They did have some rights, but slave owners certainly would not have been expected to, uh, to do, uh, was to render a good service to their slaves as to the Lord, which is what the text is calling for. And let me uh, just first say that, and, and just say that clearly the Bible does not condone uh, slavery in any way. It actually calls for a radical transformation that's the exact opposite, that makes slavery not even, not even possible when we follow God's 
God's call. <clears throat> so Paul commands the slaves and masters to love one another as they would love Christ. The challenge he's calling on here is so much more than modifying external behavior. The command that he calls for is a radical transformation in the way that they treat one another. This is a heart-level command. Think about it. If they obey this command, then the titles of slay or free, master or servant, lose all of the terrible negative meaning that's attached to them. All that's gone. If both slave and master, employees, employers, in a role of uh, submission or authority, if we love one another and we uh, treat them as Christ, none of those titles, they lose their power in describing one life as more valuable than another. This is how verse 9 ends. It brings this point home. It reminds the Christian earthly master that God is master of both of them. And it says that there is no partiality with him. So if you weren't sure what God's stance on it, on the value of human life, it's right there. There is no partiality with God. What he's calling for isn't just to reform this external behavior of the current system of the Roman culture. It's to completely change it and make them realize there is no partiality. And if you're loving each other as Christ, then you wouldn't mind to be called a slave, a master, a free, a servant, a husband, or a wife because you're being loved as Christ. It wouldn't matter. This is a message that the church in Ephesus desperately needed to take in. This same basic message gets reinforced to the church in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Biblical scholars, uh, many of them believe the book of Revelation was written about 30 years after Ephesus. And in Revelation chapter 2, it starts out um, that it's, uh, the, the church in Ephesus is being commended for some things that they've done well. But then they're chastised as well, starting in verse 4, where it says, But this I have against you. You've abandoned the love that you had for, at first. So remember, therefore, where you have fallen from. Repent and do the works that you did at first. So the church in Ephesus had apparently abandoned the love that they had, and they needed to repent. They needed to return to doing love-filled work. The struggle to love as Christ has called them to, was a pervasive and ongoing struggle in the church in Ephesus that needed to be addressed multiple times. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's pervasive today as it was then. It is so hard to love people sometimes the way that you're called to. That's what's hard about this. You can't do it. You can't do it perfectly. We come up short sometimes, even as Christians. I wish that becoming, becoming a Christian just made it so you never hurt anybody again. You never fail to love somebody the way that Christ loves them. It's such a hard calling, such a hard calling. That's what's so great about the gospel. That's what's so great about the gospel. We get to come to Jesus with even a failure and um, be forgiven and, and uh, renewed and be told that we're still holy, we're still accepted, we're still loved by him, that that status didn't change because of a, a failure. That's so good. The calling is way more than what we could do, but it's a high calling that we have. And with thankful hearts, we get to spend our, our lives working towards living the life that God wants us to live. So today's, in today's culture, like I said, our closest context for this message for slaves and masters is the workplace. Whether you're an employer or 
uh, employee as a Christian, the scripture calls you to treat your employees or your boss as you would Christ. That is mind-blowing. This is regardless of how they treat you and not dependent on if they're Christians or not. The passage also gives some extra motivation to obey this command. In Ephesus chapter 8, it says, Whatever anyone does, they will receive back from the Lord. Whoa. I mean, imagine getting paid for your regular wages and then getting paid extra on top of that. This is so generous from God. Do any of you like getting paid uh, overtime pay, especially when you don't have to work the hours for it? When you obey God's command in this, it's like you're getting paid overtime pay all the time. You get your regular wages, plus you receive back the good that you do from the Lord. God doesn't even have to give us that extra bonus, but he does. This is awesome. Uh, this is a concept that's talked about in uh, Matthew chapter 6 about storing up heavenly treasure. So on the flip side of the coin, we not only get this exciting news about like the super overtime bonus pay, but we also uh, get from the Lord as a sobering reminder, that's in verse 9, that uh, we are all slaves because God is the ultimate master of both Christian masters and Christian slaves, of both Christian employers and Christian employees. God is the ultimate master that's over all of us. What a sobering reminder, especially at the time. Would have been so countercultural. Uh, would have been such a jarring message to hear. One day we'll all give an account to our uh, to God, our master, for what we did with our time here on earth. So what exactly does it look like for employers and employees to treat each other as Christ? That's a great question. Glad you asked. <laughs> so, num- so first thing, first thing it says in, in that uh, section of uh, scripture is uh, with fear and trembling. That's the first thing. So does that mean that you should be afraid of your boss? Nope. It means that you should have a deep respect for the fact that God is your master and ultimately your work for him. So you don't take your work lightly. Have you been working remotely during the pandemic? Even if so, keep working as if your boss is in the office next door. Do your best. Teens, this can apply to you too. Do you have chores that you do at home? Scrub those dishes, get that work done that you were told to do as if Christ himself had hired you to do it. Don't just see what minimum you can get away with. Take your job seriously and give it your best. I know in today's age, a lot of times we don't have a specific person that we work for, and I think that makes it so much harder. We're disconnected from our workplaces by the idea of a corporation that owns the company, and it's a lot. It's one thing to feel like you're cheating a specific person, but when it comes to a corporation is like, well, they kind of deserve it. Um, but it's not true for Christian employees. We're called to so much of a higher standard there. Even if the culture would say it doesn't matter, as Christians, we're called to still to that higher standard. We should stand out in the workplace as the best employers and employees in the entire world. People should be lining up to work for us. People should be lining up to hire us. The world's listening to the testimony that we give through our work. So the second thing it says is, in that scripture, is with a sincere heart. So the key here is love. You have to work with love in your heart. You cannot just give what this scripture says, eye service. And eye service is when uh, the, the bosses there are watching, you give your best work. As soon as they're gone, maybe not so much. Eye service is you're doing things that look pleasing, but it talks about your inward position of your heart is not really to be. Uh, doing something that's pleasing. 
You're just giving a fake appearance. So what would your employer say if they were given uh, in camera of the work that you had done throughout the day? Would they feel uh, fortunate and lucky to have you working for them and uh, just couldn't believe how good of a job you did? Or would you have some explaining to do about many times that you really didn't do anything related to work and you just found creative ways to burn time to get to the end of the day? Employers, supervisors, managers, do you serve your employees from your heart? Or do you only pretend to care in order to manipulate them into getting what you want? Sometimes, as an employer, it can be very difficult to know the difference. Paul seems to be addressing this very issue in verse 9 when he tells masters to stop threatening their slaves. Are your employees in constant fear of losing their job over one minor mistake? Some people think, and I've been told this, that your employees should have a healthy fear of you. Not so. Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be honor and respect. There should be for employers, uh, to their supervisors and bosses. And there should be that honor and respect. But if your employee is literally afraid of you, that's not God's design. In fact, that is an anti-gospel way of managing. To use the power that you have to instill actual fear in your employees, to get them to work harder, the ends don't justify the means. And I think at the end of the day, if you get sucked into that, you'll find there's probably a selfish motive in there. Now, don't get me wrong here. Genuinely loving your employees does not mean that there's no standard. I know that sometimes um, chast- um, correction, um, reprimand needs to happen. You don't have to let your employees take advantage of you. And in some cases, people need to get fired. That's how it is. What I'm saying here is don't manage like a tyrant. The third thing, last one, most importantly, we mu- what we must do as Christians in the workplace is to have such a high standard that when you work, you are uh, that when you work, you are to work as to the Lord and not to man. That's the whole core of this thing. Do you understand how huge that is? How epic that calling is? Think about this: if you're a mechanic and you're repairing somebody's car, repair it as if uh, Christ Himself had hired you to fix His car, and then wonder why did He hire me? <laughs> Just Okay, are you in an office setting? Send your emails. Coordinate the day. Do all your office uh, tasks as if if Christ himself were your boss and had hired you to do such tasks. Do it with that kind of eagerness. That's what the high calling for Christians is in the workplace. Business owners, managers, supervisors, you're not off the hook either. The text is explicit about this. And to the original audience, this may have been the most shocking uh, in a jarring part of the text. Masters do the same for them. We got all these uh, things. It starts out in this context of, of slaves to do this and do that. But then we hear masters do the same to them. We have the exact same calling. This doesn't mean that you have to pretend that you work for your employees. What it means is that you treat your employees with love and kindness and with a sincere heart. Instead of only dishing out tasks that you don't like, 
bend over once in a while and scrub the toilets, even though you don't have to. Or maybe you take your team out for lunch every once in a while, even though it costs you some money. Maybe you, it means you give them lavish, and uh, you lavish praise on them when they uh, do good work and they work hard and you encourage them instead of, it can be easy as a manager to do this, and I know because I've been there, you only see the little things they do wrong. That's not a Christ-like way to manage. We must give a positive reinforcement and encouragement so that people would feel cared for by you. So when your employees, if they bring up something uh, to you, do, um, do they feel like their concerns are listened to and they're highly important, or are they just brushed off? There's a big thing in the culture today of um, kind of making people feel replaceable. Does your team feel like they're replaceable, or do they feel like they're valued? Employers and employees, you could ask yourself this question. Have I been radically transformed by Christ in the way that I treat my boss or my employees? Now, I know that not everybody's in this workplace context. And so you might be tempted to say, this doesn't really relate to me. But I think uh, we can find some ways where the core truth of this message that Paul's talking about does relate to all of us. Um, and maybe a good one to start out asking to sort that out would be, um, who am I in authority over and who am I in submission under? So we all have different roles in our lives where we're in authority and submission um, in different areas of life. So we can think about those and we can apply Paul's context um, you know, in different ways. It's going to look different, but it can apply to all of us in different ways in our lives. So, so students, we talk about at the Thursday nights at Shore Break Students Ministry, we talk a lot about homework and uh, teachers making life difficult for you guys, getting all the last stuff done before the year is over. So in the classroom, do you pay close attention? Do you give your teacher your best effort when you're in there? Or do you just do the minimum that you can get away with? Are you the kind of student that your teacher is happy and excited to see every day? Or do you exhaust them by talking to your friends, ignoring what they're telling you to do, not finishing your homework, or disrespecting their time? Work in the classroom as if Christ himself were your teacher. Give your very best. Adults, do any of you like to go out to eat ever? Okay, well, the waiter's job is literally to serve you, so that's an easy connection. They're your server. Now, I know uh, that many of you are fantastic uh, patrons when you go out to eat at the really good restaurants here in Kona when you visit them, but some of you, this might be a really difficult thing. Are you a difficult customer to serve? Do you make rude comments if the host doesn't get you seated quick enough or boil over in anger if the cook makes a mistake on your meal? Do you show love and appreciation to your waiter by being generous with a tip? <laughs> Christian patrons should be a waiter's favorite customer. But the sad reality is for a lot of waiters and waitresses, the one of the worst shifts you can get is Sunday afternoon. And that's because uh, all the Christians come after church and patronize their business. Like I said, I know that for many of you guys, this isn't a struggle and you even excel in this area. So to you, I say continue. But for you, if this uh, strikes a chord, what I'm saying here, maybe it's time to make a change. What we Christians should be known for is our thankfulness and our generosity. 
So over the last uh, month, what we've been studying in Ephesians, these last couple chapters, every week we've been challenged with a different aspect of how God wants us to treat one another. Husbands and wives, wives to their husbands, children to parents, parents to children, and now in the workplace, how to treat one another. There's a single cord that holds all of this together. And it's not just an external behavioral change that Paul's calling on the church in Ephesus to do. The single thread is a radical heart-level command to sincerely love one another. That's what's holding it together. It plays out in different ways, in different relationships, in different contexts, but that core is there. And I think if you look back, you'll see it. In today's text, we learn that even though some of the time, uh, at, we, knew, we know that even at the, that time, it would have been perfectly acceptable for masters to not treat their slaves well. In Christ, there is no dividing up of human value based on roles. Culture will always be that way in different ways. Some, some ways it'll be acceptable, in some ways it won't be acceptable. It'll shift from one area to another of who we value and who we, and who we don't. But remember, there's no partiality with God. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, there is neither slave, uh, Jew nor Greek, Neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. It's pretty clear where he's going with this. As you reflect tonight on the radical calling for Christians in the workplace, we must also remember at the core of the gospel is the fact that Jesus worked. On our behalf. Instead of doing what he could have done, which is tell us a million different things that we needed to do to get into heaven, we could never have done that. He doesn't do that. Jesus works on our behalf. He works and becomes man. He lives lives that we couldn't have lived. He worked when he died, suffered and died the death that we all deserve. He works to redeem us. He works to save us. He works on our behalf to make us into a new creation. He works every time you and all, you and I fall short because uh, living a perfect Christian life isn't possible. He continues to work because we're forgiven all along the way in Christ. He did what was demanded of, of us, but was impossible for us to accomplish on our own. Think of it this way. Any work that we do as Christians, whether it's in a career or at home or for your teacher, we should have a heartful, uh, thankful, heartfelt response to the work that Christ has accomplished for us. When put into its proper perspective, the challenge that I described to you today, though it might sound hard, is actually minuscule in comparison to the redeeming work that Christ did with his death and resurrection. Christian employers, to mistreat your employees is not is to not understand the gospel, is to forget the fact that we deserved death, but Jesus didn't treat us how we deserved. He gave us life. Christian employees. To not be the type of employee described in this scripture that I've been talking about is to misunderstand the gospel. We must remember that even in the most, even in the most mundane work, we can work with thankful hearts, remembering that the work that Christ did on our behalf. And that's why you also see it in Scripture um, to uh, work without grumbling or complaining. 
God wants us to have thankful hearts. And we remember our salvation. We remember the work that God did for us. It makes it a lot easier. It's pretty difficult to have a thankful heart and to grumble and complain. But you could try. I don't know. <laughs> okay, maybe uh, some of you are uh, here that are listening and you're watching online and uh, you're not Christians and you're not really sure what you actually think about Christianity. Maybe it interests you, but you're just not sure if you are ready to make the kind of drastic life changes that the Bible calls for. I'm telling you that there is so much more life for you waiting in Christ. There is a desire in your soul that you may think could be satisfied by another person, by wealth, um, by your house, even living in a beautiful place like Hawaii. But it's never going to end in you experiencing true rest and true satisfaction. It will always just be barely beyond your grasp, promising you that you're almost there. That is the terrible nature of sin, that it always promises you that it's almost there. As a non-Christian, your way is not working, and God knows it. Listen to these words of Jesus written in the Gospel of Matthew. God doesn't actually call you to start out by working. The first step is rest. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus knows that your way isn't working. He knows that you're weary from trying to work and trying to figure it out on your own. There really is rest and refreshment that's waiting for you in Christ. So I invite you, come to Jesus and finally find rest for your soul. Jesus, thank you that your word, God, your word is ever active, ever can pierce our hearts, Lord, ever can get through to us. Thank you for your calling on us to do more than just act a certain way, but to have a heart-level, radical heart-level change, God. Oh, God, I thank you so much that you love us all along the way as we constantly fall short, even as believers, God. Your grace and forgiveness is always on us, Lord. We have our salvation because of you, God. God, give us thankful hearts so that when we work, we don't think about grumbling or complaining but we just think about how thankful we are for your love for us that's completely undeserved, Lord. Lord, protect us, protect your church. Guide us to you in the name of Jesus, amen.